This is the Oil & Gas Startups Podcast, where we showcase emerging technology and the stories of industry founders, investors, and leaders with your hosts, Jake Corley and Colin McClelland. What's going on, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Oil & Gas Startups Podcast. This week, we are here in Austin very special guest with us today. We have the former Texas Land Commissioner, George P. Bush. George, appreciate you uh, taking the time to do this show. I'm super excited about it. Great to be with you and welcome to Austin. How about this view? It's awesome yeah, I know. right here in downtown. We got lucky. You know, we picked this Airbnb uh, just based off of pictures and uh, fortunately it turned out to be legitimate. We've booked a couple sometimes and they weren't even real places. They were scams. So <laughs> it worked out for us. So, you know, diving into uh, this episode, you know, you and I got uh, introduced through a mutual connection in, in the startup world, which I'll talk about that here in a little bit. But, um, you know, we had a great chat before this and I really kind of started diving in into, you know, what is the Texas Land Commissioner? You know, what does that office actually do? What was your job? You want to give me kind of the quick rundown about what the Land Commissioner is? Sure, absolutely. It's uh, it's actually the oldest state agency that you'll find in Texas state government. If we were close to the Capitol, I'd walk you over to the original GLO office. It's located on the southeast side of the Capitol. It's now the visitor center to the Capitol, but it was actually created before the current capital, as you know it, and the governor's mansion. Oh, wow. And if you think back to the original days of the Texas Republic in 1836, you know, you have a lot of ragtag, you know, revolutionaries and, and folks coming from all parts of the country and, and arguably the world, uh, many of whom were escaping uh, criminal justice systems. Uh, <laughs> others were seeking adventure and new opportunities. And the land office was created to clear title, to um, find land for, for new settlers but also to honor military veterans that liberated Mexican Texas mm. from um, Mexican uh, government. So it was um, really a fascinating time. And, and if you walk to 6th and Congress, um, you'll see a, a statue of um, a powder keg, a, a woman, uh, an innkeeper that's literally about to blow a cannon <laughs> into uh, <laughs> into um, some of the te initial Texas um, revolutionaries. Uh, convoy. And that was because the innkeepers knew that if the Capitol and the archives were moved from Austin to Houston, because that was the recommendation of Sam Houston at the time, that um, Austin would just be just kind of a backwater city. Yeah. So, you know, it's it's kind of a, an interesting story, but it had uh, an incredible impact as we see this amazing um, skyline of what um, Austin turned out to be. But to answer your question, the land office to this day carries on those duties, taking care of military veterans, <coughs> managing the state lands, which at the time in 1836, there was no oil production. So most of West Texas, um, the panhandle uh, later legally would get the submerged lands, uh, continue to this day, honoring military veterans, responding to natural disasters, yeah. historic preservation like the day-to-day -day management of the Alamo. Um, some joke by saying it's the janitor's closet for the governor. If there's anything challenging <laughs> or difficult, it gets handed to the land commissioner. But uh, <laughs> so but it's an awesome, you're awesome job. A catch-all for, for the state. Huh? A catch-all. That's exactly right. <laughs> so how does it intersect with energy? You know, you just made an interesting comment that, you know, it was um, developed before that there was oil and gas. And so obviously, you know, we have the Texas Railroad Commission that really handles regulatory in the industry. But how does the, the land commissioner? office actually um, inter interact with the energy industry? So think of the land office really as the asset manager for the state. So 
um, whether it be in 1836, the creation of the Republic, until 1845, re-entering the Union for the first time in 1845, or even after the Civil War, after uh, the war with the Southern states, uh, coming back into the Union meant that Texas maintained its own acreage. And that was another impactful negotiation that took place in the state's history that would benefit our public education system to the degree that we see today with a $43 billion endowment that supports K through 12 education. And now I believe a $36 billion endowment that supports University of Texas and Texas A&M. There's a bill, however, to spread that to other university systems. Oh, that's actually session. interesting. I want to talk about that. So, you know, university lands actually had that question, you know, does university lands fall up under the, the land commissioner's office? And I made a post about this. I actually kind of pissed off some of the PTA moms over in West Texas and Midland on LinkedIn the other day because, you know, growing up in the schools um, in Midland, you know, the schools aren't the best in the state. And you have all of these funds flow from university lands to uh, UT and Texas A&M. And UT is one of the biggest endowment funds um, in the nation, right? And so I made this post about how that funding should go back to local schools, um, you know, where it's actually produced. And so is there actually a bill um, in, in the works to kind of spread out money from, from those proceeds? So two sessions ago, an Odessa legislator, Brooks Landgraf, did propose what he called the GROW Act, which would basically view this differently by keeping more of the oil and gas severance tax in the areas in which oil and gas produced in the state as it relates to education, as it relates to highways, which are for anybody who's been in the Permian Basin knows are two of the most important challenges, mm -hmm. not only in the current age, but moving forward in terms of attracting people to live and work and raise a family in, in West Texas. And so I supported the bill. It was killed in the 11th hour with some uh, shenanigans, which usually happens around the Capitol. <laughs> it's uh, a nice way of saying it was some shenanigans. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's other ways to put it, uh, but it, but it has it's a great idea with important merit. And uh, I'm not just saying this because I know you're from West Texas and my family has West Texas or, uh, roots as well. But when you look at what oil and gas does for the Texas state economy and the private sector, but also in the public sector, terms of tax generation, revenue generation, not only for the university land endowments, the PSF uh, endowment, which I mentioned are historically large, but also just current budget payment. It's it's an extraordinary figure. It's roughly 9% of the total revenue yeah. generation. That some of that's got to stay behind to help the communities that are that are suffering. So yeah. Um, and one quick thing I'll say is that in one of my years as land commissioner, since we provide such a large source of revenue to public schools, the K through 12 side of things through the permanent school fund, I felt that it was important to teach Texas state history in actual classrooms. So I, I taught 100 classes oh, wow. throughout the state over the course of years. It, it was a marathon. Yeah. Uh, but we did teach a class in Midland Middle, uh, and it was a great experience. That's but awesome. when we talked to teachers and educators, they told us the same exact thing, that massive amounts of money are going to Austin, whether it's university systems, K through 12 endowments, but what about it actually staying here? And so the GROW Act, yeah, uh, hopefully. I don't, I don't know if it's been proposed again this session, but it'd be great to see it again. Yeah, you know, it's pretty tough because you have these uh, boom towns and it's so hard to find qualified talent and work outside of the energy industry. And, you know, if you've ever been out to West Texas, it's not the most appealing place from, you know, outdoor activities. You know, it's just desert, right? And so it's hard to attract people there. And so, um, you know, I think a lot of, you know, those issues come down to lack of resources and just investing in better infrastructure and better um, talent. So 
kind of to veer off here real quick, you know, the thing that I was really interested in from our conversation on the phone the other day, which is some of the things that you might have been seeing from uh, carbon capture and storage. And this is a super hot topic. You know, I see a lot of press releases about it. I don't know if there's actually steel in the ground and projects actually happening, but kind of wanted to dive into what you might've been seeing behind the scenes and what's going on there. And I actually asked, uh, I made a post online last night um, for for people and a lot of their questions were related to carbon capture. And so first, you know, kind of give us, you know, start off by telling me what you were seeing and then we can dive in from there. Yeah, so I would say from the state perspective, most of what we're seeing is in the offshore context. And as it turns out back in the 90s that University of Texas has what is known as the Bureau of Economic Geology, which is to basically commercialize ideas that are being innovated by geologists and petroleum engineers mm -hmm. in the lab and in, in the field, uh, along with student research and um, you know, doctorate research, and, and bring that to the private market. Um, and that research was brought to the General Land Office decades ago, but really economically never penciled out until very recently. And it was actually, people think it was just because of the Inflation Reduction Act, the, the so-called um, Green New Deal, that that spurred this industry. And, and the reality is, is that uh, private industry was interested in this concept way before the bill was actually passed. In my second term, we successfully, and my understanding is we're the only state to successfully procure to the private sector an offshore carbon capture project in, in Jefferson County. So the idea was here we have one of the world's largest refinery rows, uh, namely the Exxon Motiva plant, be able to pipe it very cheaply to a very large subterranean cavern that was well-documented that can trap, we believe in the 90 percentile uh, of all carbon that's trapped on underground. And we decided to lease out, I don't know the exact amount of tonnage, but it's, it's a pretty large yeah. field that we uh, RFQ'd out. Talus ended up, Talus Energy, yeah, Talus Energy ended up yep. winning the bid. Yeah. And so they have a long feasibility period to uh, pilot this out, um, to transport the carbon. And I believe they're partnered with uh, a, a third party to actually yeah. do the pipeline and transport it. So that, uh, that actually leads into a question that someone asked. They were asking, will there be state land auctions for poor space? And if so, how will those sales be conducted? Is that something that you see happening? any time in the, in the near future where the state will auction off poor space leases? Yeah, I mean, I think you could foresee it onshore um, and you can see it other parts uh, of the Texas Gulf Coast. I can say that right now there is a request for proposals as relates to the Corpus area. Yeah. Um, the Corpus Port is leading their own RFQ with their acreage, which is at or near the Corpus Port yeah. along with the Ingleside Port. But the GLO is in the process. My successor is uh, examining the feasibility of leasing out in the greater Corpus area. And it makes sense near other refining complexes. And that's the, yeah. that's the, the irony of, yeah. of uh, energy transition projects being better positioned in Texas because you don't see the amount of petrochemical refining that you see in other parts of the country. So it makes sense for if you're looking at an offshore uh, carbon capture to be right here and and think of the other industries that are created from this. I was talking to a yeah. shipbuilder that um, was saying that in the EU, they offer an incredible tax credit, right? A huge incentive for you to trap it, but they don't have caverns or established geology to trap the carbon over there. So they would transport their carbon to the Texas Gulf Coast and then pick up Texas oil or gas back to their country of origin. So you've 
basically created an efficiency that nobody's thought about yeah. just uh, a few years ago. No, it's pretty, one, I'm super bullish on Texas as a whole, but when you look at um, just the circular economy around uh, oil and gas, carbon capture, hydrogen, I mean, it becomes this kind of closed loop system that's uh, you know pretty unique uh, compared to some other states. So someone had asked a question um, that I thought was good. You know, there's a lot of um, people are a little suspect of the economics when it uh, comes to carbon capture and injection, especially with, uh, you know, the monetization through carbon credits. And someone asked, who assumes the long-term liabilities and costs for monitoring in the abandonment of these assets? You know, how is the state thinking about that? Yeah, so that's uh, a big question that we wrestled with in designing the lease in the procurement, it was um, putting extraordinary hooks in in liability measures and provisions on the uh, on the vendor that successfully wins. Now, the long term problem all all this is we know in the offshore just traditional conventional oil and gas process is that um, I can name you several bankrupt companies that have leased on state acreage in offshore submerged areas that are now bankrupt. That the where the original leases were signed decades ago. But the successor entity has disclaimed any liability because the, either the assets were in bankruptcy or they. Yeah, it's become a huge problem in oil and gas. Huge problem. It's had so much, you know, change of entities and um, owners of the assets. And totally. Liabilities just get kicked down the road and ultimately becomes a burden on the taxpayers. Exactly. Right? Yeah, and to be clear, the railroad they manage the onshore plugging program, mm -hmm. and some of the IRA dollars will assist railroad. Commission and other state entities to to plug wells onshore, but offshore, and this is an ambiguity in the law that still exists that doesn't designate my agency or the railroad or any agency to have that responsibility to plug offshore wells. So I think you raise a very valid point. We tried our best to make it as strong as possible to benefit the state mm -hmm. and to give us legal recourse so that we can go after any success, successor entity, yeah. even if it passed those assets pass through bankruptcy or a foreclosure process because you're right, it's the taxpayer that yeah, puts it to the I dollar. think you really have to make the liability sticky, you know, along the, the life cycle of the asset, you know, just because it goes through bankruptcy or changes hands doesn't mean that the liability goes away, right? Totally. You know, I was driving up here from Houston and I thought of this question while I was driving. Um, you know, I saw a big coal plant with transmission lines and the big talk in the energy industry right now is being able to build out transmission lines. And, you know, we have all of these energy assets, you know, whether it's nat gas peaker plants or wind and solar and now it's just a matter of being able to transmit electricity what part does the land uh, office play in permitting um, right-of-ways and transmission lines in texas so um, most of what we manage is uh, deep west texas so we don't really deal as much with the transmission line issue as you would see in more populated areas of the state okay uh, like in the golden triangle metroplex down in san antonio yeah. austin and over houston um, we do come into uh, the discussion as it relates to um, uh, riverbeds, lakes, estuaries, because we managed all the, you know, submerged. So to the extent a transmission line comes through private acreage and then um, comes over our acreage, sometimes that can get controversial. And we've seen, you know, some lawsuits there uh, to the extent that there's any offshore uh, wind farm development, which, you know, there's been increasing bids and proposals, mm -hmm. none of which were successful when I was uh, on the watch. That becomes very controversial, as you can appreciate, because you have a lot of recreation and, and tourism yeah. as it relates to the Texas Gulf Coast. Yeah. Um, but, you know, that actually is presented more to the Parks and Wildlife 
where you know there's this definite need to conserve and make sure that we have enough acreage for future generations of Texans to appreciate the beauty of, of our state uh, in all parts and managing that has been you know a, a controversy for them. But um, there is very broad law in the court system. The common carrier doctrine allows for, um, it, all you have to do is establish in a county the ability that to say this is serving a public good to get that eminent domain right to yeah. transmit uh, power. And that's why uh, I'm a, more of a believer in you know, getting behind, if government's gonna get involved in all this, the innovation behind battery storage technology, which will unlock the the uh, the renewables that we're seeing developed in West Texas, yeah. wind, solar, and hydrogen, yeah. that will allow us to just transmit power and do so without having to um, upset the delicate balance of yeah. conserving our, our environment. Which on that point, I think that you and your wife, Amanda, have been investing in energy tech companies. Um, seems that like you guys have an interest in the future of uh, technology and data in the, in the energy industry. That's how we got introduced, how to give a shout out to uh, HData. Actually, uh, David Forsberg, he said, uh, since George is an advisor at HData, you should probably ask him why he's so excited about the company. <laughs> so uh, we'll, we'll ask you that some other time. I got one last question. Uh, question for you before we end this thing. Um, someone said, ask George when he's running for president, you probably have a really good <laughs> shot at it besides the fact he isn't from a swing state. So do you have any uh, <laughs> political aspirations past, uh, you know, you, you ran for attorney general? Um, is, is the political run over or are you just uh, taking a break for now? I think uh, taking a break from now. I mean, I love public service. I have um, a heart to serve others, whether it's the military or being a teacher. Uh, 47, and I'm viewing my life really not only as a middle-aged man, but but also my boys are at nine and seven, and I want to make sure that they're on a good path. Um, you know, at church, uh, our pastor shared the stat that I think it's um, two-thirds of our time as parents is spent with our kids before the age of 13. Yeah. So I'm pretty much right there. Yeah. Uh, so the next four years are, I think about my nine-year-old, he'll be there at 13. So um, that, that is really important to me and my priority right now. And, you know, we got plenty of time to, it's funny how, when you frame serve. things up like that as a dad, you know, my oldest is, uh, 12 and, you know, one thing that hit me a quote was that, you know, one day you pick up your kid for the last time and you don't realize that it's the last time that you picked him up. And someone told me that and like hit me right in the heart. Cause my 12 year old, he's almost as big as me now. He's built like a tank. And, uh, yeah, you realize that it's like, I only have a few more summers left with him before he's 18 and out of the house. So yeah, I definitely appreciate taking some time and uh, spending it with the kids. I think that's time well spent. So anyways, this is uh, very informative. I probably learned more here in this 20 <laughs> minutes uh, about the Texas uh, Land Commissioner's role than I have in my prior uh, you know, 12 years in the energy industry. So again, appreciate you taking the time to uh, do this. And yeah, I'm excited to see uh, where, where the future takes you and uh, appreciate you coming on the show and sharing your information and knowledge with us, man. You got it. We'll do it again. All right, guys, if you like this episode, please share it with a friend, share it on LinkedIn, share it on Twitter, share it on Instagram, share it on whatever social media platform you care for. Always helps us grow the show. Hope that you got some value out of this uh, episode. We will catch you guys next week. Come, 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 come.